Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Dais, a podcast about the stories taking place in and around El Paso County, Colorado. I'm your host, Scott Anderson, and today I am joined by Becky Treese, the Chief Development Officer for The Place. How are you doing today, Becky? I'm doing great. How are you, Scott? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Uh, So before we get started, I wanted to add that if listeners are interested in more stories about people doing good in and around El Paso County, or hearing from county leadership about local government priorities and how they operate, you can find additional episodes of this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, But to get into things, Becky, I'd like it if you could share some background about yourself and how you came to be associated with the place. Sure. Thanks for asking. I am actually a transplant to Colorado Springs. I've only been here about 10 years, and I can keep track of that because I moved here when I was nine months pregnant. So however old my daughter is, that's how long (laughs) I've been here. Very good. So she's 10 now. (laughs) Uh, When we first moved down here, I took a couple years off just staying at home with my kiddo. And then I found TESA, which is the local domestic violence and sexual assault organization here in town. And... I immediately fell in love with that work and that mission. I was happy to spend several years with Tessa, learning about the dynamics here in Colorado Springs and some of the things that influence violence towards women and intimate partners. And it kind of fed into some of the work that I'd already been doing around these issues. My whole career has been around human services and how do we lift up our friends, our neighbors who may be struggling and make sure that they have a fair shot. So for a long time, I worked in this field in Denver, and then we moved down here and I got involved with Tessa. I spent several years there, learned a whole lot, and then I had the opportunity to move over to Care and Share, which is the local food bank. And shout out to my peeps who are representing all of Southern Colorado. You're doing (laughs) great work out there. Uh, Care and Share is an amazing organization, and I got to partner with them for a really long time. And the place was actually one of our agency partners at Care and Share. So in a way, I've been working with the place for a really long time. And I've always been a big fan of the mission. The work that we do is vitally important for young people in El Paso County. And so when the opportunity presented itself to join the team at the place, I jumped on it and I haven't regretted it a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So uh, can you share some of that background about the place itself and what exactly the main mission of that organization? Sure. The place exists to ignite the potential in youth experiencing homelessness so that they can achieve self-sufficiency on their own. What that really means is we see that young people sometimes fall into homelessness as a result of choices they've made or their family situation. We actually see a lot of foster care kids who have aged out of the system who fall into hard times. And we want them to know that they have a place where they can go and receive supports and be accepted for exactly who they are and hopefully change their trajectory so that they can become self-sufficient, active members of our community and really engage in a deeper level across all spectrums. Good. No, that's really good. So approximately how many people or youth exactly do you serve and in what communities do you serve? So in any given year, we're serving a little bit more than 600 individuals across all programs. The majority of the youth that we do see are within our outreach program. So street outreach is unique within the place. It's not unique across the country or among homeless service providers, but it is something that we take a lot of pride in how our outreach team works. So these folks actually go out on the street and go to places where they know 
individuals experiencing homelessness might be congregating and they go out and they try to build relationships with them and build trust and build rapport because we know that most folks who are living on the street have experienced some level of trauma and also have some level of distrust in human services workers, in systems, in policies, in a lot of things. And so we have to overcome that barrier in order to establish trust to get to where we can even extend help. Mm -hmm. So our outreach team is out there trying to really get in there with folks who are struggling and get to know them and offer them some supplies, some basic survival stuff, and then inviting them into our services, whether it's through outreach or the shelter or some other program. We really just want to engage young people in our work so that they know that we're here as a resource for them and that they can come to us on their own terms when they're ready to seek out the next thing. So that's part of what our street outreach team does. And they're like I said, serving a whole lot of youth. It was more than 400 last year that they were seeing out there on the street who then, some of them then came into our drop-in center to seek out that additional support services. So that's really what we're trying to do with outreach is we go and try to meet them where they're at and then engage them in a way that brings them into our programming so that we can help them move along in their own plans for their own self-sufficiency. Beyond that, we are working with uh, housing clients. So we find youth through street outreach. Youth find us through our shelter program. Our long-term goal, though, is to get folks into their own housing so that they can build up their own self-sufficiency independently on their own for forever. So one of the things we do is we work with them to find a housing unit that fits their needs today, and then we provide them case management so that they'll stay in that housing unit. They don't run the risk of losing their housing. We're going to work with them to make sure that they can maintain it. Mm-hmm. Through that program, we're serving about 70 youth across all of El Paso County. That That's some folks down in Fountain, some people up north, some in downtown. We're working with landlords across our service area to try to find the right fit for the youth that we are serving through our housing programs. And then through our shelter program, we serve about 120 youth in a year. The shelter itself can serve 20 at any given time. So you can imagine that we're kind of constantly cycling who those 20 youth are in and out of our shelter in the hopes of either reunifying them with their families or some sort of support system that they already naturally had or getting them set up in our housing program so that they can establish some self-sufficiency on their own. Very good. I have a couple of questions coming out of that. So for that outreach team, uh, you mentioned how important it is to have uh, individuals who are trustworthy because they're working with those who distrust and for whatever reason... How do you identify people who would be good at that? I mean, I don't think it's just anybody that can walk up to someone and immediately build that level of trust. And I'm sure it's not an immediate thing, but to even be taken seriously, uh, to be, you know, seen as someone who you can build a relationship with. I mean, I, you know, I've had the benefit and the opportunity to work with a number of different types of people, just like I'm sure a lot of people have. And I can definitely say there are some I have worked with in the past that uh, I would not trust to do that sort of thing. And then others who I'm like, oh, this seems like a genuinely like good person who could be good at this kind of thing. So how do you guys go about identifying those individuals and making sure that they are the right fit for that uh, really important role in your organization? That's a great question. And I wish I had the perfect answer. <laughs> What we look for is people who are passionate about the work we're doing Mm -hmm. and who care about the success of the youth we're serving 
and then we train them extensively. Okay. <laughs> so we build into our program because of the kind of program that we are operating, we build in a whole lot of training around what is trauma-informed care and what does it look like in a shelter setting? What is uh, motivational interviewing? What is positive youth development? And we spend a lot, a lot, a lot of hours really examining some of these best practices that are seen across the, the nation and really the world. And we dive into them deep. We do some scenario planning. We do a lot of training around these things so that our staff does feel equipped to be able to handle whatever they might face out there in the field. Mm-hmm. That said, Every situation is unique, and sometimes we're going to be faced with something we've never seen before, and we're going to make mistakes. A lot of the work we do is rooted in recognizing that all of us, whether it's a client or an employee, we are all human, and we all are prone to making mistakes, and it's how we handle them that really (laughs) matters in the long run. Do we pick ourselves up and keep going and try again, or do we let it completely deflate us and feel feel like we can't move on. So so much of what we're doing is really about instilling those skills and giving everybody the right training, but then also granting the grace to be human and make mistakes and try again tomorrow. Yeah, no, I, I really like that and it speaks to me a lot since uh, I probably anyone who knows me well would let you know that mistakes uh, come to the territory when it comes to me. So <laughs> no, I, I, I appreciate that. So you mentioned that your shelter program uh, you are able to serve roughly 120 a year or so, uh, but you can only have about 20 in your, uh, in your facility at a time. How does that rotation work? I mean, is, you know, they have like a limited amount of time there and then they have to move on to like another service or uh, another program within the organization or are they referred out? Can you talk a little bit about how that works? Sure. It's very complicated. Oh, good. So (laughs) we are a licensed youth shelter, which means that we have extensive regulations. We are regularly monitored by the state. We just had a visit last week. Oh, fun. (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs) It's always great to see our partners. Uh, So what that means is that we can serve within our shelter youth who are age 15 to age 20 and 364 days. Once they turn 21, they have to age out of our shelter. Hopefully, we've been working with them well enough in advance of that point that we have found them another location to move on to. The worst case scenario is we partner with one of the other agencies in town and hopefully find them in a bed in an adult shelter. But we're really trying to avoid that and get them a more permanent solution Mm -hmm. before they hit that 21 mark. Yeah. For minors, so that's folks who are under 18, they're only allowed to stay in our shelter for 21 days. And within that 21 days, we are either working with their family or we're working with the Department of Human Services to figure out where will they go next. That is, again, a state regulation. So in three weeks' time, we have to have a really solid plan of where is that youth going to go next. And sometimes, unfortunately, that does mean going into the foster care system. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, it is family reunification. Maybe not with mom and dad or who caregiver was before when they left, but perhaps we're able to identify someone else who is a trusting adult that they feel safe going and moving in with. Okay, no, that's that's really interesting. So can you talk more about how important it is for the place to be viewed as an organization that the community can turn to in their time of need? I mean, you know, you talk about building that rapport and building that trust uh, with those that are, you know, that uh, receive services from you. Just I guess maybe a little bit more wider scope, like how important it is, is it for the entire community to see you as that and not just those that you serve? 
We exist to serve the community. We exist because we believe in the potential of every young person to achieve their dreams. We see it all of the time in the youth we serve that they haven't yet given up on their dreams. They are still fighting for a better tomorrow. And we just want to be the catalyst that helps get them there. And that's more than anything. That's what I want the community to hear is that our goal is to see these young people become successful and a part of a community that they belong in and they feel that sense of belonging. Sometimes we are that first step of belonging that they've not felt that sense in a really long time. So one of the things that we lean into is this idea of people, place, and purpose, that in order to achieve your own greatness, you need people who you can depend on, that you can rely on, that you can count on, that are in your corner. You need a safe place to call home so that you feel safe. You're not constantly on high alert to where you feel like any minute the bottom's going to fall out. You need to feel safe and secure in your home. And you need a greater purpose. And sometimes that greater purpose is art or creativity. Sometimes that greater purpose is getting up every day and going to work so that you can afford to do the things that you want to do. So everything we do at the place is rooted in this idea of connecting every young person with people, place, and purpose. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can be their people, and sometimes we are just the bridge back to their people. More than anything, that place is the thing that we establish first. We believe in ensuring that everybody can get out of that panic mode of, I don't have somewhere safe to be, getting them to a place where they can breathe and exhale and really just think about, what do I really want to do? What do I want my purpose to be? Because it's hard to think about that when you're more concerned about how do I stay warm tonight? Mm, yeah. how, do, how do I stay safe when I'm not within four walls? So all that we do is rooted in let's get them safe and then let's figure out what's next for them and what's right for them and help them achieve it on their own. This is not the place saying every youth must achieve these six things in order <laughs> to get their certificate in self-sufficiency. Right. It is very much, hey, you youth, you know what's best for you. You know what's going right. You know where you need help. How can we be that help for you to get to where you're going? Yeah, th that's interesting. And it makes me think too, when you are in a position of being a role model of sorts for these youth that come through the organization, are you ever met with the, I would say, like pretty difficult problem of a youth thinking they need to go one direction and the organization saying, boy, we've seen this before. We know what is right for this person. How do we help that youth get from where they are right now to where we know is uh, maybe a better outcome for them? Like, do you ever, I, I'm sure, of course, this happens plenty, but what does the place do in those kinds of situations? We work really hard to present options without judgment. Okay. And the thing that we come back to is that at the end of the day, nothing is required. The youth get to choose what they engage in mm -hmm. and natural consequences happen <laughs> Sure. and should they need to return or come back and say, Oh, turns out that wasn't the right choice. We're still going to say, great. I hope you learned something. Yeah. You're still welcome here. Yeah. You still belong here. We will still accept you here. 
and we will work on your next choice yeah. and make sure you have all the options in front of you. And at the end of the day, it's still going to be your choice, what you opt into and opt out of. Yeah. That's got to be tough, though. Very much so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, and look, I, this isn't exclusive to parents. Parents don't have exclusive rights to this sort of feeling. But as a parent myself, you know, I, if I see my child about to make a decision I know is not going to end well for them, it's hard for me to not insert myself and say, no, 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 that's actually not what you want to do and it's going to turn out poorly for you. Um, and then when inevitably it does turn out poorly, them come back and be like, okay, now let's learn from this, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not always easy. And so um, I think, you know, as, as I do this with my children, as I'm sure plenty of parents do and other people do it with, you know, people they mentor and, you know, it goes all around. That has to be one of the ways that you actually build that trust with youth and with the people who are part of that organization is we allow you to fail while still presenting a safe place for you to return to in the end. Exactly. So much of our work is about just showing up, mm -hmm. being where we say we're going to be when we say we're going to be there and accepting wholeheartedly, regardless of how we might feel differently about choices that are made. Yeah. It is really important for us to continue to just say, that's okay. <laughs> and here are all of your next options and the natural consequences that come with each of these options, communicating all of the possibilities and equipping the young person with hopefully the skills they need to make the decision on their own. Mm -hmm. And is there any sort of, uh, I guess you could say like code of conduct or something that uh, those who are staying at the shelter need to abide by to, you know, remain there? You know, you can make bad decisions and, and come back and we'll still help you through it. But are there certain things where it's like, okay, like we need to move on this. We need to find another spot for you. Do you have those same sort of uh Absolutely. Kind of rules and regulations. Because we are a youth shelter, we are highly regulated. Right. And so we do have to keep the safety of the whole in the forefront. And so sometimes, even though an individual might be having an experience that they need to walk through, if it's creating an unsafe environment for the rest of the youth in the shelter, mm -hmm. we do need to figure out a solution that keeps everybody safe. Okay. And uh, I, I, I like that. Good. Okay. Um, so uh, after submitting your grant request to the county, the place was awarded $300,000 of ARPA funding. Can you talk about what that money has gone to fund? It has funded our programs more <laughs> than anything. So it takes a lot of staff to run a 24-7 shelter, in case you didn't know that. And because we are highly regulated, we also are required to keep two people on site at all times. So that even means 2 a.m., everybody's asleep. We have to have two staff members on site at all times. Mm -hmm. And so that in itself gets rather pricey when you think about coverage 24-7, two people all the time. The other thing that we saw a huge surge in expenses around in the last couple of years is going to be no surprise to anyone. It costs a lot to feed people. Yeah. And if you imagine feeding 20 teenagers every single day all of their meals, it gets really, really, really expensive. So we invested quite a bit of money in just feeding the yeah. youth in our programs, um, as well as just ensuring that they had that staff support during the time that they are in the shelter, or we, we also invested some of the dollars in our outreach program too, primarily around um, when we're thinking about what was going on with COVID 
in our shelter environment, if somebody got sick, we couldn't keep them in the shelter. We had to put them somewhere else. And in our case, it was often a hotel where we could quarantine mm-hmm. folks. Yeah. So there were some hotel expenses. Similarly, for folks who are literally living on the street, not eligible for our shelter because they're too old or one thing or another, um, if they had COVID, we also didn't want them staying on the streets. Right. So we would put them up in a hotel and quarantine them so that we weren't seeing it spread throughout some of the encampments or anything like that. So um, primarily the funding was used to make sure that we had the case management and supports for the youth that we are serving. We spend a lot on food. (laughs) It costs, even with our friends at Care and Share, it still costs a lot to feed 20 teenagers three meals a day. Yeah. I I cringe over the four children that I feed and seeing that bill on a weekly basis. So no, I, I can imagine. Uh, so you mentioned Karen Share a, as a partner. Uh, can you talk about some of the other organizations in the area that uh, you benefit working with them and with your programs? I cannot over-exaggerate how important our partners are to do the work that we're doing. We have a fantastic partnership with Peak Vista that actually allows us to have two clinicians embedded in our programs, which is amazing. That means we have a clinician in our shelter available for the youth when they come in, if they get triggered, if they're escalated, when they need to process something that's going on with their family, we have a clinician who's right there available to them. We also have a clinician who will go out on outreach. So rather than expecting youth to come into our drop-in center, he will actually go out with the team and provide some de-escalation right there on the street or some counseling right there on the street. Again, trying to establish that rapport and have people feel comfortable enough that they can come into our services as well. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, we work with Diversus, and uh, there's an eye care group that we work with that comes out and brings us glasses. We work with UCCS for some internship opportunities. If there is an agency that offers any kind of human services support for individuals, we are probably partnering with them to try to piece together the whole person care that our youth really do need in order to move on their path to Mm self-sufficiency. So we are working with anybody who's willing to work with us (laughs) uh, to provide services that the youth might need. Very good. Uh, So I was wondering if there was a personal story that you can share to kind of help demonstrate the work that that organization does. Now, of course, I understand you're working with youth. Um, don't need to get into too many specifics, but just if there's something that can help illustrate uh, how your programs work, that would be awesome. Sure. Uh, so I like to talk about my friend Damon. <laughs> He's a great young man. Uh, very positive, even though he has already experienced quite a bit of trauma in his young life. He was living out of his car. And it was not safe for him anymore. So he found his way to our drop-in center and started receiving some case management services through that. He was identified for some affordable housing. So he's got his own apartment now. And it's the first time he's, I think, 22 years old. And it's the first time he's ever had his own place. And he's really excited about it. But the reason I like to talk about Damon is when I asked him, okay, now you've got your own place. What next? Like, what's, what's the next goal that you want to check off your list? And this is so humbling to me. He said, you know, when I, was, when I was homeless, sleeping on the street, I was always in the way. I was always in the way. You know, people are getting up in the morning and they're rushing off to their jobs, to the coffee shop, to whatever it is they're going to. And I'm in their path, on, to, on, on their path to where they're going with their day, where, to their purpose. 
I want to have that purpose. I want to be just like all of them. I want to have the place to go. I want to go to a coffee shop and have a meeting. I want to have the opportunity to go up in a hot air balloon ride. I just want to do the things that normal people do because I haven't been able to do that. And for me, that was so incredibly humbling that he wasn't like, oh, I'm going to save up and I'm going to do this. Or, you know, it wasn't about a grand adventure or some big bucket list item or some material object. He wanted the feeling of being an active member of his community and having somewhere to go. That was the thing that he wanted most of all next was just, I want to be just like the next person who is living their purpose and knows what they're doing. That's awesome. Yeah, that that's really cool. And I, if Damon listens to this, uh, I had the opportunity to go uh, on the hot air balloon ride during the Labor Day liftoff. <laughs> Nothing like it, man. Like, yeah? go go for it. It was so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so incredible. Um, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so we've talked about some of the programs and some of the partnerships. Uh, are there any other programs that uh, the place offers that you feel would be important for listeners to know about? Well, not yet, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention our new development called the Launchpad. So we are breaking ground right now on 50 units of permanent supportive housing that are going to be on the west side of Colorado Springs. And they are going to be designated for the young people we serve, 18 to 25. And it's going to go a long way in ensuring that these young folks have that initial launch point to be able to be successful in their long-term goals. Housing right now is really expensive. For a young person making $15 an hour, being able to afford a $1,200 a month apartment for a studio is almost impossible. So being able to add to our affordable housing inventory here in Colorado Springs is going to be a big deal. And recognizing that this population in particular can really benefit from having this period in their young careers to build themselves up and not pay as much on housing so that they can then graduate into the next level and the next level after that and continue their success long term rather than so often young people are hitting the stumbling block of housing is unaffordable and so I have to keep moving on until I can find the position that pays enough right that I can afford housing yeah this gives us an opportunity to build up your skill set while you're in affordable housing and continue to build your skill set, your career path, all of those things so that you can make your way long term. Very nice. Uh, so for those who may be seeking services, uh, how can they go about obtaining those services from the place? Our website is theplacecos.org or the best phone number to call for support services is 719 244 3959. Very good. And then for those who want to get involved, they're like, oh, I listen to this. This sounds incredible. I want to be a part of it. Maybe I can be one of those outreach people, right? Uh, How can they go about uh, volunteering with the place? So again, our website is the best place to go, theplacecos.org. You can also follow us on social media. We are active on Facebook and Instagram. Okay, very good. And uh, is there anything else that you want to add that we haven't been able to talk about so far uh, that you think it would be important for people to know about? I think the biggest thing that we face that we want the community to know is that, especially with the young people we're serving, they've been dealt a rough hand more often than not. Sure, they might have made poor choices, but also if you're 17 and homeless, that's not completely on you. 
And for us, it's really about leveling the playing field and giving them the opportunity that many of us took for granted when we were 18 and 19 years old, striking out for the first time on our own. We really just want every young person to have that opportunity to know that they are supported as they are starting out into their independence. And so when you see those young people, it is so easy to jump to conclusions and jump to judgment about what mistakes they might have made. And really, we instead want folks to think through, gosh, what have they been through? And how hard must it be to live that existence, recognizing in them their humanity and our shared humanity, that this is just a person just like us who things didn't fall the same way and maybe we can make a real difference in their life by just extending a little bit of kindness. And to that end, I would say that we have been the benefactors of tremendous kindness in this community as well. We would not be able to do our work without the support of the community. So more than anything, I want to say thank you to everyone who comes out and supports the place and the work we do and our partners in this community just trying to make it a little bit better for everyone. Awesome. Uh, Well, thank you, Becky. I appreciate you taking the time today and for all the work that you do uh, there at the place. So uh, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. If you're interested in listening to additional episodes of Beyond the Dais, be sure to look for us on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 